Praise be to God. I'm glad you're joining us this morning. I'm Brandon, and I get the privilege to serve as the lead pastor. And we're in our second week of the series, All of Jesus for All of the World. We're connecting this theme and this idea, the vision of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, the network of churches, and a, a denomination that, that focuses on global all of the world needs all of Jesus. So a good portion of our, our general giving goes to support missions, church planning, Bible translation around the world, primarily church planning, reaching hard to reach places. And it's amazing because when we think about this, this vision and, and the mission as we read this text that's really directed a lot of our, our DNA and who we are as a local church and what we're about because while we're, we're positioned here, we're, we're continually praying for the work out there. And we see that the, the mission of, of the church that Jesus prayed for is that we would know God, which is eternal life, grow in that relationship with God and others, and then go out and make disciples. And it's super clear that the process of, of which a disciple is made with their disciple being a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus, their, their mind they believe in Jesus, their hearts transformed to think, act, and look like Jesus, and their hands and feet join him in his mission, and we see it starts really with the beginning in prayer, with the listening, with the sharing a meal, eating with one another, and then serving one another, and then sharing the hope you have, the gospel, connecting them to Jesus, connecting them to God and others, and then ministering with one another, and then eventually training them to be disciples and equipping for ministry and going out. And we're, we see that in this text in such a short exposure. And we see all of scripture being wrapped up in, in the end there, what Jesus shared about himself at the end of chapter one and, and John before we, we, we compare it and, and hold it with the calling of, of Matthew, a tax collector, and, and the calling out of what's, what's with this Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, not the people in, in the synagogues. So the, the three values I wanted to share before we dive in and, and kind of hold these values as we see them come out of God's word is relationally sharing the gospel. We invite people to believe through relational connection and equip them to share the gospel. For any of you, thinking back on your own decision to follow Jesus, it wasn't just this cold, harsh, hey, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. It was someone that came alongside you relationally and, and had that, hey, how are you doing? What's hanging you up? What's holding you up? Hey, if you look at God's law, you probably broke it somewhere along the way. And then here's Jesus, the answer. There's, there's some angst, there's some darkness. Someone was sharing their testimony uh, with me this week, and it was that. I was in darkness. I was anxious. I was fearful. And then, and then someone put their arm around me and, and walked with me through God's word. And, and it slowly, but I saw, man... And as the speaker spoke and as the word said, I needed Jesus to bring light into my darkness, to bring hope where I was hopeless and to secure where I was. And we invite people to believe through the relational connection, equipping them to share the gospel right away. It says in, in John 1, Philip found Nathaniel. He was equipped with what he knew from Moses and the prophets, from God's word to go and say, hey, this is the one that answers and fulfills everything that was told one would do and fulfill. Secondly, intentionally making disciples. We prioritize our ministries, our focus on disciple making, 
which is the highest good of the church, defining what a disciple is, a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus. If the gospel hasn't changed you and humbled you, then you probably haven't received the gospel that Jesus said, believe in me, this is good news, that I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, that I've come to give sight to the blind and legs to the lame, I've come to die on the cross, buried in the grave for three days, walk out to fulfill everything, ultimately living a lawful life, never breaking God's law that we've all broken. He died gracefully, died in our place willingly, not accidentally, intentionally he was there so that he could rise from the grave in glory for our salvation to position us as set apart, once sinner, now saint, and then the growth of a saint. Some of you might have a different tradition where you have to do things, die, and then other people get to decide if you were saintly enough. That's not what God's word says. It calls one of the most crazy churches in in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, calls them saints, which looks a whole lot like the church that we're in in America. So I find comfort in that. So, okay, we're saints. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. There's a whole lot of work he's got to do in us, amen? And we have to let him, and that's where we're at. Looking at last week, abiding with Christ. In order to, to bear fruit from Christ's work in us, we have to stay connected to Christ. We have to stay connected to his word, know the word. And we're going to see today, when we know the word, we understand why Jesus came, why it was Jesus that had to come, why that was God's plan for salvation, and why when we accept in his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, when we believe in his payment because of the laws we broke, that we can, by the spirit of God, live, abiding in him, obeying him, not perfectly, but making progress in that because of his grace. So as we abide in him, our perspective, our character, our appetite changes. We no longer desire sin. We have a different relationship with sin as as our relationship with Jesus grows. When we sin, it, it, it doesn't satisfy the way it once did. It doesn't taste as good as it once did. We see the effects negatively on our relationship with God and others. And so we've given a new life. And so as we abide, we see what the Lord does and we join him in his mission. And we see John 1, it's amazing when you think about it. If you've ever read John 1, I always tell new believers, read John 1 and Genesis 1. Because it'll show you, as Genesis is a lot of poetry and, and it sets up the beginning of our faith, as God finds somebody and it's like, hey, you're going to leave everything, leave your family. I got something for you to check out, follow me. He's always been building. He's always been asking people to follow him. When, when we see in John 1 and he rolls up to some fishermen, it's not, that, it's not a new idea. God did that to Abraham in Genesis. And then he promised, hey, you're going to have a son, Isaac. And then from Isaac, there's going to be Jacob and Esau. We'll, we'll pick that up in a minute because it's important. That's how Jesus starts his ministry. John 1 makes a record of that. John says, hey, in the beginning, Genesis starts in the beginning. In the beginning was the word and John 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he was the light of men and the, and the, the darkness could not understand it and his people rejected him. And he, and he so succinctly just summarizes so much But when you hold it with Genesis 1, you're like, wow, there's something in Genesis I think John's trying to tell us. And every time I'm preaching and I'm holding up this and I'm quoting, it's in the context of the chapter, of the book, of the entire narrative that God's telling the same themes. He's calling you to follow him. 
I'm your God, you're my people. I'm gonna make you my people. The only way that's possible is through Jesus. The entire book, God's continually reminding us. Why? If you read about it, he's always talking to men. Sometimes he talks to women. But most of the time he's talking to men. So he has to repeat himself over and over, over and over. And it's, it's laughable, but it's real. Because guys are like, oh yeah, cool. Anyways, let's go, mil- let's go melt the gold down. Moses is like, I was gone for a few days. Like, come on, Aaron. He's like, I, uh, there was gold and I, sorry, I don't, you were gone, Moses. I'm sorry. So that's when he got the law. But we're in Genesis. At the end of this narrative, it's crazy because the truth here we see initially is found people find people. We have right away, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, right before when Jesus rolls up to the fishermen. Why were they fishing? Why weren't they in the synagogue? At the age of 12, they had memorized Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. At the age of 12, they had that memorized. So if that doesn't make you feel good as a Christian today, you know, you should have, you should have probably worked hard last week. Maybe reevaluate your New Year's resolutions on what you're going to do. By 12, they had it memorized. And if you weren't the good enough of the good enough and you couldn't say it fast enough, and, and what they would do is kind of what I was saying. When you mention a part of Scripture, they were really inferring the before and after and how they taught. So it really, like, you think it's hard in Western, you know, our education system. They really doubled down on what you're supposed to know. And if you couldn't cut it, then you went into the blue-collar trades. You went into the family business, which obviously these guys weren't cutting it in the synagogue schools because they were fishing. And the rabbi, the, the, the season and the culture of which God said, now go, Jesus, it was to show us this, this heart, fully humble commitment, fully devoted to following a rabbi, following a teacher who would teach us how to live. We would walk where he walked, slept where he slept. And so he calls him and says, follow me. But, but all, John said, hey, there's the guy, there's the Lamb of God. And they said, hey, where are you sleeping? That was inferring, hey, can we be one of your, can we check it out? Can we see if we could follow you, rabbi? You're the teacher, I want to be one of your disciples. And that's why when Jesus said, yeah, come and see where I'm sleeping, it was literally saying, you're going to now follow me. Wherever I sleep, you'll sleep. Wherever I eat, you'll eat. Which some of you are down for that. Others of you are like, I'm gluten-free. I don't know if that's a deal breaker, Jesus. Like, we've got to talk about this. Is there options? Or I'm locked, you know. They didn't say that. They left that out. So here we see Philip finds Jesus and is like, dude, Nathaniel's got to know. Nathaniel's got to know. So he said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. This isn't just like, hey, you got to come meet Jesus. Like, he made me feel this funny thing in my stomach, and I, I kind of thought you'd, be, you'd maybe enjoy him. No, he's like, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's human. Nathaniel is like, dude, we're in rival cities. Na- what is in Nazareth? Nazareth. If, you're, if you grew up in this area and you travel and you tell people where you're from, they're always like, where? Uh? And then if you're, you know... There was a little bit more of a rivalry with the Tascadero Paso, and then you go over the grade and slow, and it's like, yeah, those people up there. But now they all move up here, and they're like, wow, you can have, like, another car. This is cool. There's, like, land. I never thought. It's like, yeah, it's a little different. And it's interesting, because you hear that, and every time I read that, I'm like, yeah, I can kind of see that. You know, I kind of live there. And Anyways, that's that's beside the point, right? It's like, I don't know. The music's too loud. I don't know. The dress. You got to have, like, you know, there's no more... People have all these perspectives and persuasions and there's no tradition anymore and 
and no reverence. And, and so he's like, I don't know, what's Nazareth's got? Who's, no, there's like high and mighty. The one that's coming is gonna be this political guy, this warrior. He's gonna be this amazing military victor, like muscles bulging everywhere and swords that are giant. Like who's Nazareth? He's like, dude, you gotta come and see. I'm not gonna get in this debate with you. Here's the evidence, which if you've ever seen William Lane Craig with Ben Shapiro, it's that kind of dialogue. Ben's like, well, Nazareth, well, this, well, that. And William's like, here's the facts. You've got to deal with Jesus. Like, come to Jesus. Just come and see. He died and rose again. You can't refute that. That's the fa- you have to deal with the facts. So Nathaniel's like, all right. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Jesus saw Nathaniel before Nathaniel saw Jesus. Jesus s- sought him out. He came from heaven to earth to see Nathaniel and reveal to Nathaniel some stuff that's pretty amazing. At first glance, I remember reading this and being like, what is Jesus' deal about angels ascending and descending? Like, where did that happen? As he ends in verse 51, but he sets it up because it's, it's powerful and purposeful that Philip went and got Nathaniel. Nathaniel's coming and Jesus is like, hey, look at an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answers, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you there. And then Nathanael answers, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And then Jesus says, because I saw you under a tree, you think I'm the king of Israel and everything's legit? Like, you just confirmed that I'm God? You're going to see crazier things. You're going to see angels ascending and descending and he says, on the son of man. So we gotta unpack this a little bit. We think about this, the spiritual realm and some of you are already dismissing me. You're like, ah, you know, the Bible's wrapped in a leather. There's no, like, we don't have that today. This is weird, what is going on? It's crazy how many missionary stories tell of, of these kind of experiences where a husband and wife are in a hut and they're being surrounded by the village they've been trying to reach with the gospel. And they're on their knees praying like we just sung we just sang in that song. We're praying. We're, okay, Lord, you've got to protect us. You've got to provide for us. They're going to kill us. They're going to eat us. They need to know your love and your gospel, and they've broken your law, and they need you, Jesus. But we're going to die. What's going to happen? And then they retreat, and the, the villagers leave, and they're, like, astounded. And they stay there for another year doing ministry, and, and the chief comes to know the Lord, and the chief comes to the missionary and re- recounts that night and says, hey, now they know Jesus, I've got to ask, what was with those guys? And he's like, what guys? We've always only been husband and wife, there's no other guys. And the chief says, no, there was men, like super tall men, just radiant light coming from their, their, their robes and they had these giant swords and they're surrounding your hut. Like we wanted to attack, but we couldn't get past them, so we had to leave. It was the angels. They were protecting God's servants. And you say, well, Brandon, oh, that's just whatever. No, it's because you're not going. It's because I'm not going. When you're on the offense, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He never said invite people to church and do mailers and, and get your social media and your books and that, that's being a good pastor. When I've read scripture, I don't, I don't see that. Those might be tools, but that's not the focus. That's not the goal. And I always have a hard time when it's like invite people to church. I'm like I don't I don't know if I would go to church if someone invited me because I'm at this church preaching. Like, I don't know why that's the, like, does that work for everyone? And no, it doesn't. So then why would it work for some? Like the mailer, if I ever got a mailer in the, in the, in the mailbox, it's like, come to this, we're gonna do it. It's like, no, no thanks. 
but you don't see it in scripture. But yet Jesus comes from heaven to earth and calls people to follow him. And then they go tell people, hey, this is him. This is the one we've heard about. Come and see. It's a relational gospel. It's a relational God that says, you got to invite your neighbors. You got to tell the whole world. You got to go and bring all of me to, to them everywhere. And it's about relationship. You can't just write it on a postcard. It doesn't work. God wrote the law down on stone to, to say, hey, this is it. So when you forget, because, okay, let me, I'll give you a second copy. Again, he's talking to men here. They, it, he broke the first one. It happens. Guys break stuff, right? Moses breaks the first law and then he has to get another one. I mean, it's a repetition. He writes that down, but he, he wants to write it on their hearts. And so Jesus, fully God, fully man, comes to live with them in a relational sense to bring the gospel. That's the model. We have to invite people relationally. We have to get to know them. And that's where Jesus is getting to know Nathaniel and saying, hey, I know what was going on under the fig tree. It wasn't, it wasn't just you sitting under the fig tree. There's a spiritual battle going on. There's a spiritual realm that we're blinded from unless we're out there doing work in God's name. And then God says, hey, I'm gonna send you to the nations and they're gonna try and kill you and hurt you, but I got you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And we see that. There's a... A pastor's wife down in LA, and again, if you've ever been to LA, it's not a two lane, it's like a four to eight lane highway, and cars go faster than they go here, and it's fine. They have suggested numbers on the side of the road, you should probably think, but don't really care about that, just don't get ran over. And, and so she's going down, and the door opens, and her son flies out of the car, which I'm reading this going, he's gone, like that's horrible. And she slams on the brakes, I don't know all the details, somehow she's able to get to her son, and her son's first response is, mom, mom, did you see Jesus? He put his hand out and all the cars stopped. Did he make it up? Is he a pastor's kid? And he just went super spiritual and, and kind of re remedied the situation? Or did he actually see Jesus? If we're actually believing that God wants a relationship with us and cares about the little things, the big things, is he going to always do that every time? No. But maybe he needed to do that. And maybe for today we have that to go, okay, Jesus is talking about there's a spiritual realm and certain times and places, angels come and they do help and they support and they bring clarity. And so Jesus is saying, hey, check this out. You're, you're, you're curious. You're curious about who I am. You're curious about what's going on. And, and you're sitting under a tree and you're curious. And the commentators say he's having this, this curiosity and a, a new mentor, a pastor, one of their values in their church is, a community for the curious. And I was like, I, I like that. I like that putting language there because there's many of you that are maybe curious. And, and as we go to God's word, whether we've been believers for a long time and you hear something or you see something in scripture and you're, you're curious about it. And Nathaniel is one of those Old Testament believers going, man, I'm curious about these. I'm thinking about the things of God. I'm waiting for the Messiah. And it's interesting because when, when he comes up, Jesus says, hey, look, it's Nathaniel in whom there's no deceit. And if he said that about, I don't know about you, but if he said that about me, I'd be like, ah, oh, Jesus, don't you know all things? Like, you know, there's parts of me that maybe there is some, some things I'm still working on and you're working on in me, and, but he, he owns it. He's like, yeah, you're right. I am that good. Like, I have no deceit. And so then we see the Lord knew Nathaniel's character before he met him and saw him a deceitless and honest man. How could Jesus know? And he, 
commentators think when he was under the, the tree, he was thinking about, man, maybe I should go follow John the Baptist. Maybe he's the one. Maybe I should get baptized. Maybe Jesus isn't going to come. Maybe he is going to come. And so he's talking to God about this. He's having this spiritual, just curiosity ramblings. I don't know if you've ever been there, just wanting that. And the amazing thing is God brings that to him and he's like, hey, I saw you there. I saw what you said to God. I heard what you said because I'm God and in you there's no deceit. And so, so then he's like, boom, you're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the Messiah. You're him. You, you saw, you know all things. You knew what I was saying under the tree. The only way you would have known that and maybe he was thinking about Jacob's ladder. Maybe he was going back going, what's the deal with Jacob's ladder? The angels ascending and descending on a ladder. What was that about? Jacob just wanted this birthright. He wanted to succeed in life. He wanted to have the, the health and the wealth. And he was kind of a mama's boy. If you know anything about, about Jacob and Esau, and you're like, man, this is a huge jump. And, and it's because... The Jews knew the Bible and they were waiting for their Messiah. They knew what the word said. They were trying to abide in the word, but instead of waiting for Jesus, when he came, they, were, they missed him because they were thinking wrongly about who the Messiah was. But maybe he was praying that the Messiah would reveal himself to him. In any way, Jesus shows up and says, I'm here. Everything you were saying, thinking, and wondering under the fig tree, I'm the answer. And that's why... The commentators think that he was probably talking and thinking to some degree about Jacob because when, he, when Nathaniel is not only guiltless, he put two and two together quickly, said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And we see 2,000 years before, in the time of Jacob, Jacob was the mama's boy. His brother Esau was the man's man, hunter, gatherer. Jacob was kind of around the house, didn't go too far, didn't have many friends other than his mom, it appears in scripture. And so then he's like, how am I going to work in a hunter-gatherer society? I don't know how to shoot a bow. I don't know how to clean a deer. I don't know. And so Esau comes in, he swindles, gets the birthright from him. And that doesn't obviously make Esau very happy with his brother. So he puts a little bit of distance, 43 miles to be exact, just a little bit, just to make sure Esau doesn't come get him. So maybe, maybe he was a runner. I don't know. Because after three miles, I think I'm pretty good. But he's like 43. We got to make sure there's some distance there. So he's exhausted after 43 miles, which I'm sure you and I would be too. I don't think I could make it that far. But he did. So 43 miles, he gets to the valley where there's a bunch of rocks. He grabs a rock and finds comfort and falls asleep on the rock. And that's where God sees him. In his desperation, thinking he's messed up his life so much, he's tried to make it work, tried to figure out on his own means, there's a lot of deceit in Jacob. Jacob's name turned into Israel. So there's a little bit of play on words when Jesus says, hey, here's an Israelite where there's no deceit, because the original Israelite was full of deceit. The OG Israel, that's all he was, was deceitful. His name meant a heel grabber. He was conniving, manipulative, and, and very selfish. And so when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, and he took a stone, laid down, and in verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It's pretty interesting when you think about it, and every time I've read John 1, I'm like, hey, I see where you're going, the light and darkness, Jesus is the word, I see all that. What is the deal with this ladder? Like, why do we, and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the, he doesn't say ladder anymore. 
Instead of ladder, it's now him. It's Jesus. It's the son of man. It's what I always tell you and why I always preach from this because it's always all about Jesus. And all of the Bible is always talking about one person, Jesus, as the hero. And we're the problem. We're the lawbreakers. And he loves the lawless. He loves Jacob. And he's like, man, this guy's one pathetic loser. He's got 43 miles under his feet. He's exhausted. I'll give him a dream. Telling him one day there's going to be one that will give him the identity, that will give him the peace, that will give him the hope, that will give him the confidence that I'm pleased with him. The angels will come and care for him. But it's, it's not a ladder, it's Jesus. The ladder was just pointing to Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, hey, Nathaniel, you're thinking about these things. You're searching, you're seeking, you're, it's a community, right? It's this relational connection with, with him going, hey, are you, are you curious about that? I have the answer. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. All the way back in John 1, before the wedding at Cana, where he changes the water to wine. Which is interesting, because I always thought that was the first miracle. But here, the miraculous. Do we expect miracles to happen? Are we seeing, like Jesus said, you're going to see angels come ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And it's interesting, as, as Jesus' words bring into our lives the staying realities that were Jacob's, God often is closest when he seems furthest away. Have you ever been out in the wilderness where it's like, man, I've made a mess of things and God's like, I know, but I love you and I'm here to help restore and rebuild. Let's go. He's, he's, never, he's never further away than just turning around. It's repentance. That 180 degrees, he's right there. He's been chasing you the whole time, but like a good dad, just, hey, if you make that decision, it's gonna go bad for you. And in his sovereign will, you can't mess it, you can't touch it, you can't change it. His perfect will will always happen in his perfect timing. The permissive will is where he's like, this is not going to go well for you. And you're like, I know, but I'm going to do it anyways. And that's because we're sinners. And the Bible calls us sheep. They were like, why did you just run off a cliff? And he's like, I'm the shepherd who's always got to keep you from doing dumb things. So have you ever been out in the wilderness? We learned from Jacob's vision that God is active in our lives when we're in the wilderness. Hebrews 1.14 talks about angels ministering spirits that are sent out to serve those who inherit salvation. In 1 Peter, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you. Angels long to look in these things. Angels look at how dumb we are. And he's like, and they're just longing to, why don't you see it? God's creation just declares his creativity and power and majesty. And you guys are just, oh, let's just delete God and think, boom, it happened. That makes more sense. And then you're like, man, every time I make a mess of things, God's there to love me and have compassion and care and rebuild. And it's like, well, God didn't do it fast enough. God didn't do it soon enough. God didn't do it like I would have done it or how I wanted it or there's not enough. That's because we're comparing. We're not confident in who God is. We're comparing ourselves to other people and we're not content in who God is and what he's given us. And angels are looking into these things going, man, we got, we have a lot of care. We have a lot of work to do to care for these people. And then it's amazing when we see this and we hear stories like John Patton's experience and Elisha with his servants surrounded by the enemy and Elisha prays his servants' eyes would be open and they see flaming chariots of the armies of God all around them. He saw the reality of ministering spirits. They're there. 
And we see in Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not that we're good or that we're anything special. It's because we're in Christ. When you realize that you broke God's law and God created you for relationship with him, and so Jesus, being fully God, fully man, died in your place, was buried in the grave, walked out to give you new life. We're new creation now. We're a new creation. The old is dead and gone. The new is here, and now we're in Christ, which calls us as believers, as he's building the church, he's gifted us in every way to go and share the gospel. Go and and be the light in a dark world. And so when we go, there's always that tension of, man, do I have enough courage? Do I have enough faith? Uh, My schedule's full. I'm busy. I'm not going to share today. But when we're going, God sent, will send angels concerning you to care and, and has sent his spirit inside of you to tell you what to say. And all those blessings are in Christ who's in heaven. It's amazing that the seasons I've had at, at Hume Lake and different places and really growing and understanding God's word and experiencing and, and being challenged from hearing missionary stories like that one and going, well, you're real. I'm not just reading it or hearing from a random pastor needs to pad his sermon and throw some zinger spiritual thing in there to freak me out or encourage me. It's real. But when we're not on mission, we don't have those experiences. And every missionary I've talked to has those experiences. And then I go on short-term trips, and even though I get a few days, I'm around people that are not like us in, in the American church warming a chair. They're out there doing it. And I'll never forget thinking, oh, yeah, I'm dating who's now my wife, Jenna. We get to go on a couple's mission trip in college. It's great. And we're sitting there at breakfast because I've been on a lot of short-term trips and da-da-da, running the mill. And the lady I'm sitting next to is like, yeah, and we're talking about kind of spiritual gifts, which... I mean, you all talk about that at breakfast. I'm sure you had a great conversation about that this morning. And uh, she's like, yeah, you know, mine's about, you know, casting demons away. And I, I pray against the weather. And I'm like, oh, this is one of those, like, Christians, you know, like, super spiritual ones. And, and sure enough, two days later, we did a lot of the humanitarian. We cared physically for them to give us an opportunity to relationally meet them and invite them to hear the gospel. That their true need, their only real need is that they'd be able to drink from the water that Jesus gives. They would never thirst again. And, and another water thing was happening where the clouds started coming into rain. And if it rains, then there's no crowd to hear the gospel. There's no, all the work we did giving clean water and, and food and eyeglasses and to, to meet their physical needs to, to get them to hear the spiritual need would have been for naught. We're like, oh Lord. And there, I look over at this lady and she's like, it's okay. God told me, so I'm going to pray. And boom, she prayed and asked the Lord, and, and the Lord moved the clouds back. And then she's there, and she's like, yeah, there's a demon over there. I'm praying against it, praying against it. And she's doing the battle, but the angels are fighting. The angels are doing the battle. She's, like we sing, she's praying. And I, I would not be able to preach this if I didn't experience that. and go, wow, this is the body. It's all built up to do different things in different places and different times. But that's not just because that's in Peru. Jesus said to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. That happened to be one of the ends of the earth geographically for us. But now most countries are sending missionaries here because we got complacent. We forgot what the mission of the church was. We got distracted because companies said, hey, I got a mailer for you. Just put your name on this and address and guaranteed 500 people show up for Easter. There you go. That's weird. I never thought Jesus said that at the end of Matthew because he didn't. You're it. He chose you. You should be honored. Like, like you should pat your neighbor on the back. Hey, God chose you to hear this message. If you believe it and receive it, then you have to be sent to go. 
which I'll never, I mean, that just still boggles me too at the end of Matthew. It's like, wow, Jesus walked out of the grave. He's like, yeah, cool. See you later. Go tell the world about me. You're probably going to die. I'll get you in heaven. You're like, wait, what? Hold up. That's why they stood there. They're like, dude, are we, am I going to really die? Like how much longer do I have? Should I go fish one more time? I don't know if that's worth it. Like, how do I spend my days? Like, there's a lot of stuff they had to process there. And here, Jesus just dropped a huge bomb. Nathaniel's like, it was enough. You just saw what I had the conversation about. But it was about Jesus fulfilling all of scripture and finding our identity in him so that we can go with that confidence. So as we think about in these closing thoughts, and then I have a kind of anecdote to end with, we abide with Jesus. We see what he does and we join him in his mission. And we rejoice as Luke 15 highlights the woman who loses a coin and rejoices when she's found and throws a huge celebration. And the shepherd loses a sheep and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And Jesus is saying, the angels rejoice in heaven, not over the 99 self-righteous who don't need repentance, but over the one sinner who's found. And that's why when, when everyone's like, whoa, what's Jesus doing hanging out with Matthew and a bunch of sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus is like, I didn't come... The healthy don't need a physician, it's the sick. I came to call the sinner. Go and think about this. I want mercy, not sacrifice. Think about mercy. That's that's putting others' needs before your own, giving them mercy. Philippians 3, 18 through 20 says, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was starting his mission with Nathaniel. Hey, you've thought about these things, I've come to answer it, it's me. I'm the way to God. It's your eternal place is secure in me in heaven, and now we can await his return as he gets ready to bring us to that place he's prepared. So we do this together as the church, as the body, we have individual ministry as missionaries Ephesians 1 talks about him being the head of the church and we're building up the different parts we all have different parts to play in the body together Ephesians 4 10 through 16 he who has descended is the one who also ascended from above the heavens that he might fill all things he gave apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry that's you you're the saints that are to be equipped to go do the work of the ministry different parts that we play in this mission as fishers of men. We see that, again, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, that we're all playing a different part in building the church up, but it's individually. So as we relationally share the gospel with individuals, expecting miracles to happen, that God's going to use you to share the hope you have in Jesus with someone, and boom, their eyes are going to be open and they'll receive Jesus. It's not anything you did. It's Jesus doing what he did with Nathaniel with them and saying, hey, Here's someone who has found finding lost people. Here's someone who, who is sharing Jesus. And he's like, yeah, before they shared with you, I, I was seeking you. And I wanted to reveal and open your eyes that I'm the Savior. And you're in sin and I need to save you. And this individual part we, we play, Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open for us a door for the word to declare the, the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Interestingly, two-thirds of the New Testament, it was written, was written in prison. And yet our kind of stages and platforms we have is, is 
books and media and, and wanting these higher and more popular places. And, and, and Paul and, and Jesus were like, hey, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. The only, Paul ha- the only time Paul had to write was when he was on pause in prison. Would I make it clear, that I would make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, because Paul actually wasn't, a lot of people and commentators believe he, he wasn't the best looking or best communicator. And so it's, it's humbling because I often ask that same prayer. Hey, give me opportunities that I might share. And then when I have an opportunity that I could actually speak clearly. Because I need to speak clearly. This is the most important message ever. And that should encourage you, saints. That when you have an opportunity to ask, hey, pray for me that I have an opportunity. And then when I would have an opportunity to share, that I would have the words. And I would walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we begin in prayer. We pray for the lost. We live wisely as we listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We want to be serving as individuals, relationally sharing the gospel, meeting needs where we can. We want to be watchful, thankful for the time that we have to serve and care for those. Sharing with others what God has done in our lives, sharing our stories, sharing resources as we serve them and they serve us. And then we connect people to the next step, connect them to God and to other people in small groups, life groups, Bible studies, and then ministry, do ministry with them and ultimately release them to make disciples because we're all part of the body building one another up. And just because you don't have this gift or, or you're still developing and identifying your gift and using your gift, it's, we're all there to equip and encourage each other to honor Christ in our heart as holy. And as First Peter says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you for a reason for the hope that's in you and do it with gentleness and respect because even if you're silent and you walk away from coarse jokes in the workplace or your family's believing things and says things and you just don't say anything they they realize they, they pick up hey he's not about that she's not supporting this and then they're going to ask eventually one day and what's your response are you ready and as we think about this and we think about the the truth that found people find people, as we see in John 1, that the reality that Jesus saw Nathaniel before he saw Jesus, that Jesus sees you before you see him, and he's, he's called you to trust in him for salvation. And for those of us that have, we're on mission now. We've believed him with our minds, our hearts have been changed, and our hands and feet join him in his mission. And we, if we're not careful, can get distracted and change his mission to suit our to suit our desires, to suit our passions and pursuits. And there's a story I heard, there was a dangerous seacoast where there's a lot of ships that would get wrecked often and there was a shack they had set up and, and it was kind of volunteer run and so they had very little resources, a couple paddles and a boat. And, and they, these boats would, would be staffed by volunteers and they'd go out and search when they'd hear of a shipwreck and they'd go look for survivors. And so after a while, people kind of lived there and, and they had these stories and sh- to, to share. And so they gained a lot of attention and they gained a lot of resources from, from donors and, and a lot more people showed up. And after a while, they decided, you know, we've, we've been pretty successful, but these chairs are breaking. We've repaired them so many times and, and the dock needs to be repaired. We, we, we should get better boats and go from paddles to motors, which I didn't want to hold a motor up here. So they had paddles and, and then they got motor boats and then they built out the, the shack to this big club and they had the chairs replaced and couches and the window was boarded up and they put a giant flat screen in there and they had a sauna and they had this all dialed in and, and all the while 
there'd be missions sent out with boats, but after a while they decided, you know, we're kind of over the whole life-saving deal, let's outsource it. So they brought in a whole crew to, to man the boats, and, and after a while this big ship went down, this big shipwreck happened one night, and they brought in all these people that were smelly and different looking and different color and different cultures, and, and really disrupted the club because they were having a big party that night, and they're like, dude, this is not okay to have all these people in here. So they had a big meeting the next night and decided, you know what we need to do? We need to set up a, a, a little shack out here with showers, kind of like what we used to have, and they could get cleaned up there, and that way we can still have our club, and we won't be interrupted by, by these people. And, and a lot of people disagreed, and they said, that's why we exist, to go out in these lifeboats and save people who are drowning. And, and they had a big disagreement, and so they operated that way for a little bit, and they realized, you know what, it's just not... Not, it's two conflicting ideas. So they, they said, you guys can keep your life-saving mission down. We're going to send some money and, and send some people down the road. You guys can start your own shack lifeboat saving down, down, the, sea, down the seashore. And, and so as history went on, it repeated itself. And, and the same thing happened. There was a split. There was a divide. And they multiplied slash just you know, sent another ship to go, ship-saving crew down the seashore. And so now if you visit that seaside, you're going to see all of these clubs and all the remnants of, of that purpose and that initial mission, they were there to, to look and seek those who are drowning and save them, but they're all clubs and there's no life-saving mission there anymore. And that is a sad reality of the church in America, that we used to be the biggest exporter of missions and now we're the biggest receiver because we lost sight of looking for lost people. We lost sight of looking for people who are drowning in sin and, and bring them to Jesus and we got distracted on the lights and the the music and, and the clothing and, and what said and who says it and how and what's the next book or what's the next movie instead of, you know what, who's the savior that already came and said he's coming again? And how many people don't know that and are drowning and saying they're going to meet their fate? They're going to meet their judge and they don't know they're going to meet their judge because we stopped paddling. And we're like, I don't know. I think there's another way. I think there's an easier way. I think we can, you know what we'll do? We'll send a mailer and invite them to a building. Jesus left heaven to come to earth and he saw Nathaniel before he saw him. So as the communion elements are passed, it's his body that was given for you. He didn't just drop leaflets in the air and expect and hope you read them. He didn't come and say, hey, you know what? I, I kind of have an in with the guy upstairs. I'm gonna pray for you. Like I'm actually gonna do it. I know people tell you that, but I'm actually gonna... He came and he said, look, I'm him. I'm the answer to everything Moses talked about, to everything the prophet said is gonna come. I'm him. And because he was the answer, because all of scripture said Jesus is the one that you and I need to save us from our sin, it compelled the men to stand up in a culture that said, if you talk about Jesus, we're gonna cut your head off. We're gonna cut your tongue out. We're gonna light you on fire. We're gonna take your kids and throw them in the arena with lions. And the church said, I followed Jesus X amount of years, time and time again. He's never did me wrong. I'm not going to deny him. And they went to the sword, to the flame. They got sawn in two, as Hebrew says, because they didn't back down. They didn't slow down. They didn't stop. Wherever God put them, wherever God placed them, they were on mission because they knew him, which had salvation. Their name was written in the book of life. They were growing in relationship with one another relationally sharing the gospel, making disciples, expecting miracles, all the while going where Jesus had them go. 
loving who he had them love, praying for those in need so that they might be saved. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of your mission that you came. You trained the disciples, the apostles. You gave them gifts to establish churches, establish your word that we would be trained and equipped through your word, by your spirit, for every good work that you've called, you've called us to do, that we have the confidence that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to, to God, the Father, but through you, the Son. You're the way. And the angels come down and go up concerning your saints doing your work, that we have that confidence, that we have your spirit in us and your angels supporting us. Lord, may we take your word seriously, like James says, and not be hearers, but doers also, not hearers only. And so for those who have yet, who are here who have yet to trust in you and believe in you for salvation, that they would do that now. And just say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need Jesus' death on the cross to pay my sins so that I would not feel the wrath, but only the love of God and never fear being separated again. And have that hope secure in Jesus' name. For us that believe that we would not slow down or let up as we go out and love those and seek to save those who are lost. That God sees before they see him. That God knows before they know him and we have an opportunity to invite them to meet their savior. That we would continue to be on our knees praying and pleading for opportunities and for your spirit to give us the right words to share with gentleness and respect. In Jesus' name, amen.